0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Run Your Mouth Podcast. It is an honor to be here with you guys this evening for a nice little evening broadcast, the Run Your Mouth Podcast. Before we get into the episode, I got a guest. We're gonna go even deeper on everybody's favorite topic. We're just calling and call him AJ. You know, like how Jesus Christ, they just started going JC, nice and condensed. So you know, we're not the, the name that shouldn't be spoken. It's like living in uh, in the world of Harry Potter. You can't even speak the guy's name. You know, they might know that you're talking about. Next thing you know, your YouTube channels are being pulled, which, by the way, I'm letting you guys know that this episode is not going to be in full being streamed to YouTube, uh, mostly because they censor me. And I already have strikes on these channels, and it's really annoying. So when it gets to the point when I know that this is no longer safe for YouTube, I recommend going over to Twitter or... That uh, you can pick this up tomorrow, because uh, you know, even if you watch on YouTube, just d- 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 subscribe to the channel. You know, do the do the things that I'm supposed to plug: the likes, the the five stars, comment on other people's comments, tell people that this is the anti defamation podcast, tell your friends. All right, you know, I was just trying to just plug a sponsor, and then I'm already ranting. My guest is just looking at me like I thought we were ready to start. So, uh, she thunderwear. It's the it's the summer, and I know how sw- hot and sweaty your balls are. This this is the number. This is the month where you got to show up and you got to upgrade your underwear stash. I know how much your balls stink. Your wife's been emailing me. Your girlfriend's been telling me, hey, can you plug uh, uh, the sheath underwear again? I haven't heard it on the last two episodes, and my boyfriend is balls stink, and he needs to do something about it, and I can't I, I, I can't bring up this conversation. It's a little bit much. You know, it's a newer relationship. I've let it go a little bit too long, and I actually I like sucking nuts. It's something I enjoy. I would like to suck in his nuts, but they're just too foul. So if somebody could create a better underwear where you know his dick's not up against his nuts all day, so it's not getting all sweaty and it's separated from his legs, I would feel more comfortable in this relationship. And you're the person I'm talking to, the person right now who's wondering if that was your girlfriend that emailed me. It's you. You you should be self conscious about your nuts. And so you know how you uh, you know how you fix this. You go to sheathunderwear.com, use promo card RYM, you get 20% off, and you can save your nuts this summer. Don't be out there all hot and sweaty. And uh, Summer tour Stores in session. Michigan, this weekend, we're out in a beautiful farm. I'm bringing the Shedcast guys. We're doing the uh, Smoke Out, Bug Out preliminaries, live concert, me doing stand-up, and I already got a great live podcast planned. Then we've got D.C., Maryland. Writing PA, come follow the tour. All three shows, they're going to be a little bit different. Those are going to be a fucking party show. I got a great lineup of comics, and then we're closing out the tour in Denver. Okay, now for today's episode, I'm only going to mention the name once, just in case you guys didn't know what we're talking about. It's the Alex Jones special part two. Uh, I know from doing the live show, not everyone was as alarmed about the Alex Jones topic as I was. I believe I even convinced the live crowd why they should be alarmed about this, and I bet some of you at home were like, oh, yeah, this actually is concerning. You cannot find those materials anywhere. At least I didn't. I didn't really do a full search. So I don't know to what extent Alex Jones was even talking about Sandy Hook. I don't know what extent he was telling his fans to show up in those yards and to protest those actors. I don't know because I didn't watch it. But you know who does know? A certain individual left left the Brooklyn area, got himself out of there changed his name from CPU God to CPU dog because he's been censored as well. You get it. You you start telling people that they got to be nervous about COVID passports and the world comes after you. They go, we can't, that's what we're trying to create new world orders for. We can't have little Jew faces that look like Jerry Garcia ruining our evil diabolical plans. Welcome to the show, CPU dog. Who's here because you have the Alex Jones theater. You're an Alex Jones fan and you're the keeper of the Alex Jones archive.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. It's been, uh, Quite a thing recording with you lately. I, you really bring out the worst in me. We you know, Hunter <laughs> Biden and how this. Uh, but very happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me again.
0: Absolutely. Why don't you tell people uh about your life's work as being an Alex Jones archive uh, archivist archivist and your uh, and the Alex Jones Theater. Give it a plug. This is a real absolutely.
2: endeavor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I will just switch right over to that. Oh, can you turn on my presentation?
0: Absolutely.
1: All right. So uh, for those of you who are on the video and can see, this is the Alex Jones Theater. It is just this little website where I host private events at my space in uh, Bonacqua, Tennessee. Um, You know, for me, Alex Jones isn't so much a person who I admire because of the content he makes or because of his aesthetic or how he behaves. It's because of how he handled himself as a person in the media business. Somebody who never really uh, compromised and never let other people saying no to him ever really be a reason to not do something. Um, you know, I actually didn't always like Alex Jones. I kind of thought he was annoying and gave Ron Paul a bad name when he was running back in 2008. And I felt really offended by this idea that this guy wanted to discredit Ron Paul, but you know, I did some growing and some living. And now of course I live near a bunch of people who are a lot like Alex Jones. And I know better now that, um, you know, he was, he has done a very good thing for the world. And um, I'm saddened to see what happened to him recently. Right, so, with case
0: let's start with that in defense sure. of Alex Jones. Cause I, I, listen, I don't like or dislike Alex Jones. Like there's certain people, there's a lot of media out there. We've all consumed. It's just not something I consumed a lot of to be a fan or not a fan. That doesn't make him good or bad. You know what I mean? Sometimes people like think like you're giving a review like, I'm not, I, I'm not giving an endorsement. I'm not saying I don't like him. I'm just saying there's people that grew up with him, listened to him all the time, he was not part of, I listened to Howard Stern, Opie and Anthony as a kid, like that, that was kind of my radar. It was the New York stuff. Um, so in defense of Alex Jones, people do like to say that for all the nonsense, there are some really big topics that this guy has gotten correct. So give us, give us the top level defense of Alex Jones. What are some of like, even the big themes that he's educated the listeners on, or just some of like the things that he had unbelievable accuracy on?
1: Well, sure. I mean, so just before I talk about specific instances, I think still the very big learning that we can all get from Alex Jones is really more how he conducts himself as opposed to the stuff that he has talked about, which is why I started the Alex Jones Theater. The idea was to um, provide a feeling of um, completely earned endorsement, whereas I'm not really the biggest fan of Alex Jones, but I love the idea of fostering people like that at my space in Bonacqua, Tennessee. And so when it comes to the specific things right, that he's gotten right, I actually really view him as somebody who's gotten almost a 100% accurate view on foreign policy uh, with respect to predicting most of the major shifts in geopolitical events, as well as... Um, Uh, getting it on the right side of the moral question in just about no circumstance. Can I think of Alex Jones having ever advocated for something other than a non-interventionist foreign policy, just like the people that we respect and follow every day. So I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that we could look to is um, one of the earliest clips I have in my archive of Alex Jones, which is coming to us from July of 2001.
0: before we press play, here's what we're going to do. We're yeah. going to we're, we're going to chance the algorithm here cuz I'm yeah. seeing I'm seeing outrage here by the fans. They're telling me just get a new channel, burn it down. What are you doing that you won't just go like, "Dude, I'm the most anti-censorship person. I'm the most not give a fuck person." But it's just going to be annoying for me to have to reorganize the content that exists on these channels. It's just annoying. So here here's the plan for today's show. Everybody in the chat getting all upset with me, move over to Twitter going to play this last video and before we comment on it i'm going to come down from the youtube channels the reason i went up live here is because people that consume the content on youtube i've heard people on the rob's newsroom channel asking why things are on the fire channel why they're i'm letting you guys know the reason why sometimes it goes to one and not the others because i can't post it to one of them at some given junctures in time and so if you're a consumer on youtube you should follow both channels And if you never want to miss an episode, just make sure that you actually subscribe on iTunes. I know that it's video only Uh, Spotify does get the videos. Uh, That's enough of the technical talk on the channels. It's not the most exciting thing. I just want to keep people in the loop. I feel like a tour guide. I'm like a tour guide of my content. I don't even like tour guides. I'm like, just shut the fuck up and show me this stuff. So with that being said, I hand it back to you. (laughs) Andrew, (laughs) if you want to show us uh, a, a young Alex Jones, full head of hair, doesn't look nearly as bearish or, you know, quite the maniac he is now. So, you know, Maybe the, 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 the culture turned him into that.
1: Well, I would say it's possible. I mean, I'll just say this, man. At this point in time, he was the same age as me. I'm 32. And if you look at the two of us, boy, I mean, he, he really did drop a long way. And um, he looks like a pretty young 32. I'll give him that credit. Um, here he is as a strapping young man who had a lot of interesting things to say uh, right before 9-11 happened. For
2: this Wednesday, July 25th, 2001 broadcast, tyranny is enveloping the globe. And the United States is a shining jewel the globalists want to bring down. And they will use terrorism as the pretext to get it done. So that's coming up in the second half of the show. Very important information. I'm going to put the call out that you call the White House and tell them, look, we've seen the news stories that you wanted to blow things up, that you have blown things up, and that you're saying that four million of us are going to die and we need martial law and the Associated Press. And one of your little drills you had. And that we're aware of who the terrorists are if you pull this. This can stop the Hitlerian Reichstag event. I want to put the toll-free number up for Congress. And I won't want you to believe Alex Jones. I want you to go get these news stories off my website. I want you to call these major newspapers. I want you to find out these statements were true by the White House about preparing for martial law. And I want you to let them know that if there is any terrorism, we know who to blame point is if any terrorism comes it's from this government and if there was an outside threat like a bin laden who was a known cia asset in the 80s running the mujahideen war whose family builds all the military bases over in saudi arabia right now sits is the board of iridium satellite he's the boogeyman they need in this orwellian phony system
0: so this is pre-9-11 him telling you a 9-11 is going to go down and it's going to be osama bin laden
1: that's right. And he even makes the special claim that um, most other people can't make these days that uh, the government did it and that Osama bin Laden would be at, at most a, pot, a patsy. All right. Uh, we're
0: going we're, we're we're coming down from YouTube before I lose the channels. Everyone enjoy, <laughs> enjoy what you can on Twitter. Here we go. First channel coming down. And then. Uh, hold on one second.
1: It's amazing. You know, what if Alex Jones had to do all this when he was first getting started?
0: All right. So with that being said, I have never once gone into the the government caused 9-11 rabbit hole. Now, just take a step back. I can understand if you're in the deep state, like, you know, having an incident as terrible as 9-11 that will actually get the American public on the side of, hey, let's go to war. I I get why that's like, you know, I get why they would want to do that. Uh, In my head, I like to live with the illusion that they're not that evil, that like there's evil that exists, but that they wouldn't take things that far. Uh, in your opinion, I've never ventured back in the good old days of YouTube when there were hundreds of videos that 9 11 was an inside job, when you could just click on one thing to learn about gold. And then the entire sidebar was talking about lizards in the Fed. Remember when the fucking YouTube was just an open platform and like everything on the sidebar would be like the demons who caused 9 11? You know what I mean? It was like just yeah. interesting shit. And sometimes you caught yourself like watching something for an hour and a half and be like, why, what, what, why, how did I end up here? So I'll hand it back to you. Do you believe that nine eleven was an inside job?
1: I'm not sure if I could call it that. Um, you know what I've determined after being staunchly in the side that says, no, the official story is true. I, I do no longer believe that. And I think anybody who does venture out into that space, there are appropriate places to look to get pretty well informed and scientifically verifiable analysis on some of the claims made. Um, I don't have a real opinion on who did what, but what I do know is the official story is not true.
0: So, what, what you, being what that the bin Laden and terrorists got into planes and attacked structures, like what do you, what what, yeah. what would you say you that? So that's the official story, and what do you think is certifiably false about it?
1: The actors who did it uh, primarily, I think, would be the biggest thing to question. I think also the circumstantial evidence around some of uh, the sites of crashes and damage are pretty verifiably wrong. Also, you know, a lot like you, I'm from the area. um, And so when World Trade Center um, 7 fell, I uh, knew right away that they had done that intentionally. They said that on the news. And I remember being very nearby and um, being told this, you know, as a kid when 9 11 did happen. Um, and a lot of people seem to not be of that view or it just kind of got memory hold, but it absolutely was the case. And we were told this on the day of nine 11, uh, that's another big, big contentious issue with, uh, the nine 11 attacks. It's pretty clear that world trade center tower seven, uh, was brought down, you know, and I think that's another important aspect to the fact that it's not necessarily that the, um, Alex Jones version is more correct. It's just that, The government's narrative is not correct. Uh, I'm
0: I'm a little bit confused. Let's just uh, let's uh, qualify the point a little bit. Okay. So when the towers came down, are you saying that it wasn't because of the planes that hit them, that it was like, basically the government was planning on taking down those towers that day. So they had explosives or other materials.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I I don't even really necessarily have an opinion on who did it, but um the claims made by the government about who did it and about what caused towers to fall are pretty verified. No,
0: uh, so let us go with the, the the specifics though so you sure. like so specifically you don't think that they fell because of the planes that hit them
1: no, I think it's pretty clear that there was um outside work that was done they prepared the buildings ahead of time uh you can clearly see the explosions coming out from the building uh, right, I think and that's then easy for anybody to see what was that? That would be easy, I think, for just about anybody to see.
0: All right. So if someone wanted to go fact check you on that, what would you? where would you point them as going, like, here's a good spot that has like a decent write-up on that information?
1: Boy, I mean, honestly, there's a uh, documentary that was recommended by Tim Dillon at some point. Um, It's like a seven-hour super autistic uh, examination. Hey. Now, the, right. the other really good one is the Toronto hearings. If you look up uh, in 2011 the uh, Toronto university held a series of academics uh, to give speeches and talks and uh, brought in some world experts on these issues to sit on the panel and the entire uh, four days worth of events and and talks uh, are available for free online. I would strongly recommend that if you actually want to start this off on a good footing, investigate the Toronto hearings uh, for the 10th anniversary of nine 11, the the, the best starting point there.
0: Toronto hearings. And then, uh, the official story just basically being that this was the Taliban, cause that's almost a different thing. It could be that the, uh, that the towers did collapse because they were hit by planes, but then you could have a, like, there's layers to it. Was it just Osama bin Laden? Was it Osama bin Laden in conjunction with other governments or, uh, divisions of government? And then might that even have been with division or actors from even within our own government? Like those are kind of the levels.
1: Yeah, I would say it's fair to say. The, you know, there's a composer of music out there named Karl Heinz Stockhausen. He died uh, about 10 years ago. And Sounds he was like
0: guy who killed Jews.
1: Well, <laughs> he, 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 really, he got canceled pretty hardcore back in 2007 for making um, the observation uh, that the person who did plan out 9-11 was something of a genius in the sense that he really understood the, or they Understood exactly the right way to instill fear in people in a way that he, as a composer of opera, never could have dreamed of doing for his entire life. He said he was working on trying to get something like that out of people, but never could. And uh the the people who did actually do 9-11 are super geniuses and um they're sick in the head, but I don't think it's Osama bin Laden, it's definitely not some some son of a rich oil uh oligarch you know in saudi arabia that did that um y- the other issue that no, that's you interesting
0: at- wait i want to i want to digest that thought because that's an interesting thought if you're a terrorist and i guess you want to attack america well i guess what what, what what's the goal there like if you're just gonna do free killings like what what i, I don't know in your opinion let's think out loud here what do you what, what's the goal
1: Well, I think a lot of the most effective terrorism has been on local grounds. You know, it's usually fighting off a foreign invader. That's why there was so much of it that happened in Iraq and in Libya and all that. So, um, you know, when when you see events like this happen locally within your own borders, um, you know, you do have to start wondering
0: if it was actually,
1: you know, a local or maybe even just like a connected to the West kind of individual or organization that did this.
0: So I would say, and this is uh, not an endorsement of terrorism. I want to be clear (laughs) that as I try and rationalize what they're looking to accomplish, I'm not saying that this is good, Uh, but you could look at war as basically being a game of who can inflict more pain on the other till somebody submits. And. Uh, We create kind of rules for this, right? And so the rules are, hey, you're not going to bomb our hospitals. If you capture our prisoners, you're not going to torture them. But we kind of create the rules around uh, the acceptable variations of imposing pain on another group of people. Now, if you're the underdog, sometimes, well, the, the rules almost make the game not fair because they're, you know, to the advantage of the more sophisticated player. Uh, the example, maybe even being when the U S fought, uh, you know, in the revolutionary war and the British are lining up and we're like, Hey, that's fucking stupid. Like, we're not going to do that. We're going to just shoot you from behind rocks. And they're like, well, I thought we're supposed to line up. Right. So I would think in some sense, you know, I I guess the, the terrorists are going like, I, I I mean, I don't know even the agenda of Osama bin Laden. I'm kind of maybe editorializing blowback theory here, but they were like, we don't like what the U S is doing. So We're going to inflict a massive amount of pain on the civilization so that at least there's repercussions for what they're doing. Uh, But it didn't really work out in their favor because if anything, it gave an excuse to the government to kind of ramp up going abroad and, you know, stirring up shit. Uh, So unless unless the goal was to actually get us into a fight and bleed us dry, uh, which, you know, Osama bin Laden might have been that smart or. What you're saying is like the terrorism, which gets everyone to live under fear and then look to the government for a solution, uh, does seem to be kind of in the interest of our actual government, which is an interesting, you know what I mean? It's almost like interesting to, I I guess, attack civilians and then empower your adversary because you're going to get people more rallied behind the government to, you know, take control.
1: Sure. I think also you do hear Alex Jones say exactly this, right? That uh, if there is going to be terrorism, we know it's going to be the government and it's going to be these patsies, right? And he names the person, right? He names Osama bin Laden. And I think it's because he does have a pretty sophisticated understanding, even at this point, about uh, the way that propaganda works. And I think that, um, you know, when you do look at the outcome of nine eleven, it's not hard to see that uh, the, really the, the benefactors, a lot of people had to buy into that, you know, no matter what, like no matter who did it. Um, you had to have a lot of people who were able to at least make money or get some other kind of gain out of this. And uh, with the 9-11 issue, you have that in spades. You, know, you have um, the issue of the Defense Department um, being the target of the Pentagon attack. And then you also have the benefit of the fact that uh, there was so much asbestos and lead in the World Trade Center that it was going to cost billions of dollars to fix it. And so the person who bought the lease on that building had a real incentive to have a way and knock it down uh, and then collect on the insurance. And so, you know, I think that when you look at these large scale attacks where lots of fear is impacted on people, you have to be able to get buy-in from a large contingency of people. And I think it's also going to be very relevant to how we talk about Sandy Hook, because a lot of the same issues are there too. But in 9-11's case, uh, without all the people making money and all the foreign policy gains that happened, why would 9-11 have ever happened? What would be the point?
0: So I actually want to um, speak to that point, and then we can kind of delve into Sandy Hook. So I think one of cool. the criticisms of of Alex Jones in regards to the Sandy Hook was this is this is immensely evil that people lost their kids, and you're going to criticize or kind of poke at these people who are going through tragedy. And while that's true and it's inappropriate, the themes that he's speaking to. Are also still very important. So it's not like he's coming at this from a, hey, these people like l- l- he's not like really being a bully where he's going. Hey, let's just go be mean to these parents. He's actually coming now. You know bad intentions can make people do bad things. You know, I mean, having good intentions doesn't excuse taking bad course of actions. That could excuse most government behavior, a lot of it. You know what I mean? The the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, but like to me, he's speaking to themes that are concerning, which is that we, like government can engage in activities, uh, to make it seem like there's an outsized threat to then strip us of our freedoms. Uh, I think we just lived through Corona and we can see pretty clearly that they took advantage of that opportunity. Uh, and they would have pushed it further if they could, you and I, we already covered it. You were kind of first one on the topic of, uh, um, them using crypto to basically track us on our phones. There's a video that I'm going to play on this Saturday's Run Your Mouth of life in China right now where there's the green and red system on your phone and they literally know where every person is at all times. And if your phone turns red, you're not allowed outside of your house. And their entire life is basically checking in at these centers and making sure that you're in the green uh, because otherwise you got to go quarantine. And government has full control over everybody's movement in China. They have a surveillance state seemingly from the video I saw on CNN, they've got a full surveillance state where at any point in time, they know where every single person is, which is remarkable for the billion uh, plus people that are living in China, that they literally know where every single fucking person is and can tell any person that they need to be in their house at any given time. That, that's a remarkable. I mean, that, that almost sounds more efficient than like some U.S. jails. But anyways, so Alex Jones uh, and we're going to we're going to see what was actually said. We're going to see if he was actually going, hey, these people are actors or we should show up to these house. Or if it was more him questioning, hey, is this another 9-11 situation? Are they pretending? Well, I, I'm not going to say the 9-11 wasn't wasn't real. But I guess if you're under uh, if you believe that, I, I mean, there I, well, I guess there's there's two different things. There's the taking advantage of a tragedy. Don't let any tragedy go to waste where something bad happens and you go, okay, this is my opportunity to scare the shit out of people. Uh, and then there's actually the creating the tragedies. So is there a possibility that government would create, tra- well, we know they do it. I don't know to what extent they've done it here, but I, I, I think it's fairly well documented that they've done it, uh, I, I think in other countries, but I'm talking on my ass on that. I can't name a specific. Uh, so now I guess that, ki- so just in his defense, he's talking to themes that are important. So it is kind of important to see how he was framing it and how offensive it was, because if it's that framing where he goes, hey, listen, there was this attack, but like, let's actually look into it because that's not beyond our government to possibly fake these kind of things and try and take our guns. Like I said, using words like possibly, or it's important, or we're at risk because here's the way government could go totalitarian. That's a reasonable discussion.
1: I would say it is. And, you know, I think that one of the reasons that people um, in certain circles really hate Alex Jones is because he actually is effective at identifying sort of the hidden connections between events and identifying the the hooks that they have into other realms that we deal with on a daily basis. And so with this example, you mentioned um, the systematic kind of um, uh, tracking and abuse of the Chinese people. Well, where did they get that system from? They got it from the U.S. Army. They got it from us doing that to the people in Afghanistan and from Iraq. And that's why China for years and years and years didn't really care or speak up at all about the atrocities that we were committing and that Alex Jones was documenting in the Middle East. And so um, he is one of the people that really taught me uh, to look for those kinds of things in situations like this. And I think, um, you know, given my background with um, uh, decentralized computing and with media um, I'm seeing these connections now everywhere. And I think, um, you know, you will see, I think a similar discussion coming up, um, in recordings I have of Alex Jones talking specifically about Sandy Hook. Um, I'm going to just start this one from the beginning. It's about two minutes and it starts out with a caller that's calling into his show. And so this is the context. This is the and just
0: is- one, one question before we press play oh, here, I. Yeah. Uh, I, I something else that's that someone told me is that, like, in terms of percentage of radio allocated to Sandy Hook, minuscule. Like, yeah. I mean, Alex Jones does what, three hours a day, six days a week. Uh, so it, he's doing quite a bit of radio. And I heard that over the course of a year, like the amount of time that he spent talking about it was like under an hour. Like, we're not talking about a ton of content. Is that accurate?
1: I would say it's probably true. I only have this video of him speaking directly to it. And it's only because somebody else actually asked him about it directly. And it wasn't about Sandy Hook specifically. They were talking about, I believe, the shooting in Paris that had happened shortly thereafter. Why is the
0: Vegas shooting so sketchy? I know everyone says that that one's sketchy, but I I know nothing about it.
1: I think the... um, you just have to look at the crime scene footage uh, to really get a sense of what's wrong with the official narrative there. And, you know, when I remember when those images leaked and, you know, there were um, there was more than one dead body in the, in the pictures. I mean, how do you, you know, what is that
0: in the pictures of the room of the shooter?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there were other interesting kind of problems, I think, with the consistency of this story. But I didn't really prepare for that one, so I don't really All have right. much to answer for you. <laughs> what no I worries. do know is that there's a video of suspicious things where uh, Saudis are dumping a bunch of um, uh, empty shells into like a dumpster or something the same night that the shooting happened. That's the claim. I don't know if that's true. But um, I think that the, uh, the big reason behind this is, again, very similar to why we're going to see a lot of contention with this issue here. I think the problem always comes up to the fact that it's very hard to imagine human beings in any state of mind wanting to do stuff like this. And I think that's an important way to look at this problem. Now, the issue with the Paris shooting, which is what they're talking about on this call, uh, is that there was sort of this concern that this also was somehow faked. And they used um, Sandy Hook as the example. Um, Alex Jones up to this point, though, has not actually come out and spoken to the public about his position. And I'll go into why his position um migrates over time. But let me,
0: I I just want to ask, are we sure about so like Sandy Hook happened? He said nothing. Like, I, I don't follow the show, so but as far as you know, he really did not cover it in any capacity until this phone call, or is that just kind of a guess?
1: No, no. So um, he did cover it when it happened. Uh, I was not watching him at this point. This is coming from my archive of content I've uh, acquired from after the fact. The um, contention he has, I believe, at the very beginning is that uh, it was real, that kids did die, that you know, someone was shot. You'll see there's um, a start of his migration away from that perspective in this video clip. And as far as I know, this is the first time He's addressed Sandy Hook after the initial spree of um, episodes he did relate to it. And so this is like a bit of a, a gap. And um, you're going to see him now readdress the subject about three months after it happened. So I'll, uh, I'll play it and you can see what you think.
3: A quick a quick little little comment. Comment. One was that the video footage that appeared to be, you know, kind of fake or whatever with the cop being missed by the gun. Um, supposedly that was taken with a cell phone camera. And I think that's kind of odd because if, if I was witnessing something like that, I don't think, uh, grabbing my uh, phone to shoot video would be my first priority. I think it would probably be maybe making a call to, you know, get some backup. Cause clearly the cops uh, in the area are all being shot. So I thought that that was a little sketchy, but what I was, what I was curious about is this now, this may or may not be the case with this Paris thing but you know how after sandy hook it's like every other person seems to think everything's a total hoax and i know that's not what you think but what i'm curious about is do you think that there's a new level of sophistication with a lot of these false flags where they plant a couple of pieces of you know flimsy evidence that get everybody talking and steer them in the wrong direction um so like to
4: make it, to make yeah, when you're trying ones. to, I mean, decipher cloak and dagger, dirty tricks, it, it's pretty hard to do. It's just that when you then you learn that they were funded by Western funding, the then you learn that it was the same the Alocky connection, underwear bomber. Then those are big red flags that they were patchy provocateurs. The classic M O has been followed, and then yeah, it kind of becomes a red herring, you know, to say the whole thing was staged, because they have staged events before. But then you learn the school had been closed and reopened and you got video of the kids going in circles in and out of the building and they don't call the rescue choppers for two hours and then they tear the building down and seal it and they, they get caught using blue screens and uh, a, a email by Bloomberg comes out in the lawsuit where he's telling his people, get ready in the next 24 hours to capitalize on a shooting. Uh, yeah, so Sandy Hook is a synthetic, completely fake, with actors in my view, manufactured. I couldn't believe it at first. I knew they had actors there, clearly, but I thought they killed some real kids. And it just shows how bold they are that they clearly used actors. I mean, they even ended up using photos of kids killed in mass shootings here in a fake mass shooting in Turkey. So, yeah, or or, or Pakistan. The sky is now the limit. I appreciate your call.
0: All right, so I just I want to comment on that because I mean this one's pretty bold. So the the listener's actually asking him, do you think that they f- put fake evidence in after the fact just to get people like you thinking the incident was fake? And Alex Jones actually says, no. After a secondary review of it, I do think that this incident was a hundred percent fake. And then and then the, the the last statement there's I mean particularly bold where the sky's the limit on how how far they will go. So this would seem to me he did come out and I mean he's labeled like that that's bold. That's not like saying there's a possibility of it being fake. That seems to me like he's saying, I I have done my homework and I'm coming out and labeling this one as fake.
1: Yeah. He actually says I couldn't believe it right at first. And that it even uh surprised him that this is the conclusion that he now has come to. And I think that's important as far as details go because um what he's done is indicated that he's had an evolution in thinking. And I think that actually is important context that wasn't addressed at all during the court case. But in the other circumstance, you do have to wonder, does he do this because he believes it? Or does he do this because it helps string along viewers and keep people listening for the next two and a half hours while he gets to sell pills, right? To people over the commercial break. And so I think that um, uh, that's always going to be the, the push pull of the situation. You don't know. If necessarily he's saying things because he believes it's the hundred percent truth, or if he's being hyperbolic because he's about to go to commercial break and he wants people to buy the
0: products. Which by the way, the the idea that we have a free country, you can't have a conspiracy guy. Like, I I mean, that kind of comes with the territory. I will say when it came to the, I think it was the Florida parkland shooting. Um, the next day, I, I don't, I'm not saying that that incident didn't happen. I want to make that clear. I'm not saying the incident happened. Do I think the government went ahead and did the incident? No, I'm not saying that. It was, a. as far as I know, real shooting, I got no reason to think it wasn't a real shooting. It was odd to me uh, how good those kids seem to be at selling. Like, I would have thought, even myself, who I think I now kind of have a knack for performance radio and otherwise I even with a level of coaching I don't think at their age immediately following a trauma I could have been as composed in terms of using the proper buzzwords of why my fellow like that my fellow students need to feel safe and how bad the incident is and how everyone failed us it's like it did feel a little bit like and by the way it could be that groups come in sit down with the kids and go, we have an opportunity here to prevent this from other people. And we'd like to give you a little bit of coaching, like, which is not that malicious per se, you know, for an activist group that's against guns because they think it's putting, they might be wrong, but I'm just saying, if you're, if you're an activist against school shootings and you think guns are the problem, so I disagree with you, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're like acting necessarily immorally. And then for those people to step in, even with scripts and try and coach the kids, because they go, Hey, we've got an opportunity to move our agenda here. That's not like evil, or but I'm just saying that it was odd to me instantly. I remember I, I, I made a comment to someone, uh, a friend of mine, like there's something just weird about how sharp these kids see. Like they just seem like politician clones from a young age. Like it's almost <laughs> odd that you had this incident and then you got these kids that are, uh, perfect storytellers of it handpicked, right? Like, how do you find the three most well-spoken kids right away? Now I'm not saying the incident didn't happen. I'm just saying that in that one, I just, there was something a little odd about it.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. Cause that's also the contention that Alex Jones eventually has as well about Sandy Hook. And um I think that the commonalities where you indicate, you know, a surprising uh, degree of confidence on the mic, on the camera, right after, you know, their kid died, right? Supposedly, right? That, that is shocking. And I think when a person today sees that evidence, it does ask, uh, it it begs the question, you know, like why was that possible?
0: What's the Bloomberg evidence?
1: You know, that appears to have been completely memory hold. I looked for that thing for a long time and I have pretty good, um, archives of Bloomberg contents. I saw nothing like that from that year. I'm still looking for it.
0: There's, um, there's a writer that I like. Uh, I'll plug him. I like this guy a lot. His name is William Engdahl. He wrote this book called um, Myth, Lies, and Oil Wars. Yep. Now, the more out there claim of that book, I haven't seen anyone else get into this, but he claims oil is not a finite resources. They lie to us when they say that it's from dinosaurs. It's actually a geological function because of like the temperatures at the core of the earth. And that there's been sealed off oil wells that they've come back to, and then there was more oil at a later juncture in time, uh, and basically we have uh, I, I guess close to infinite oil available to us, and they're just pretending like it's a finite resource. Now, that's the wild claim of the book. The rest of the book, he kind of starts talking about Henry Kissinger, real politic, uh, um, it, the the American like deep war machine, and like I, I remember reading it and just being like, all right, well that part's just weird. But then like the other part of it, which sounded just as out there, the idea of Kissinger and everything that guy did war related seemed just as nefarious. Like you literally wrote a Hollywood villain in a movie. I didn't believe it. And then all of a sudden, like you just Google real politics, You're like, well, that's not hidden. You start like, you know what I mean? You're like, I, like it kind of gave me. And then, by the way, I found this guy, William Engdahl, because I wrote a paper in college about like the fall of GM. I, I was not a cool kid. I mean, actually, no, I was a cool kid. I smoked weed all day. Didn't really show up and mostly drank. I was <laughs> fucking awesome back then. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> dewy or nervous. I fucking loved everything. I was out you were also
1: reading finance books. That's, that's pretty interesting.
0: Well, yeah. occasionally I would take some Adderall before a final type thing, but I remember, <laughs> I found this essay after the fall. Like I had already done my fucking homework. I dug in on this one and I found this article three pages and like just, he just had the math done and everything worked out to a T about GM going under. And then I looked at the date and it was from three years before GM had gone under. And I was like, Oh, this guy's smart and he knows his shit. Right. I right. read, I go to check his blog every single um, Saturday. He doesn't put out an article every single Saturday. Uh, and I will not take what he's saying as fact but whatever's going on in the world, he always has the most interesting story. And sometimes it gives me breadcrumbs to go search for elsewhere to see if I can validate it. So for example, in uh, my end of year misinformation spectaculars, uh, which are both excellent. If you haven't seen them, I I really recommend giving those a watch. I go back every once in a while and I was like, Oh, you know what? I'm actually not terrible at comedy. Uh, So I did two of them. uh, And the first one, um, I did a piece on, uh, the scientist, I think the Sork Peter to or something like that, but there was a scientist out in England who created the first COVID models that we shut down everything based on his models. Uh, literally like when he came mm-hmm. the, when they were preaching the death models, it came from this guy. Now what was funny about this guy, and I promise you, it's not going to be funny now. You can go watch this piece. I promise you it's funny and it's accurate. Uh, he had the bad models in England for uh for uh, uh mad cow disease if you remember when we were panicked about that he had the bad models for uh foot and mouth disease this guy's repeatedly had bad health care models that over predicted death that they made like bad economic decisions based on and even though we had a track record of being zero for three that was the model that we worked with when we panicked and said oh my god there's going to be two million deaths or whatever the number was in the united states Uh, he also broke the, his own quarantine rule to have an affair. That's who the guy was. So the first place that I'd write about this was from, from Engdahl. And I was like, all right, this sounds really out there. So I I wasn't going to go off of it just from him, but then like I researched it and it was pretty widely reported. Uh, at least I'm going to say the next place I definitely think I validated from is daily mail. Uh, and then uh, whatever homework I did, I was like, this is enough to work off of. I remember not reading William Engdahl for about four years because I once went to his website and he had a piece on Sandy Hook being faked. Uh, and then I can't refine that piece. I've, I've been trying to find it. Anyone listening, Rob's Newsom at gmail.com, maybe you're better at internet archiving than I am. That one was just, at first, I wasn't following politics in the same capacity. And at the time, that one was just too out there. I just bring that up because it seems like, I guess, some of the smarter people in the conspiracy space seem to have gotten that story like... Wrong, uh, which almost makes me think maybe they were working off some bad intel. Like maybe the CIA or someone else actually managed to do them dirty and, like, you know, whatever their normal sources are, maybe became corrupt.
1: I think that uh, you'll recall, I might, you might recall that I I gave a similar claim um, after the January 6th incident that uh, the CIA had used Parlor as a honeypot to basically coerce or trick people into committing the so called crimes. I mean, I thought it was hilarious, but some people think it was a crime that uh, you know January 6 became. And um, you know, I think that they've probably been up to that game for quite a while. I remember reading uh, Timothy Leary's biography, and he even admitted um, back in the 80s, right before he died, that he had been the unwitting patsy for uh, CIA and for MK Ultra people, and he knew the person that had done this to him, and basically had sort of encouraged him to go in certain directions with his work and with his um, social life and all that stuff. And it led to certain outcomes that, you know, upon looking back at it from hindsight, you look, you see, Oh, uh, this really benefited a certain party. Uh,
0: why, why he felt like he the, was
1: acting on his free will.
0: Why do you think the CIA pushed uh, acid? You think like they just wanted to like, they were pr- like, they were anti the more Christian conservative society prior to like the Hippie revolution. And so they kind of push people to become a bunch of dirty sluts and healthcare and all that other shit. Like,
1: well, you know, that's the funny thing about acid. I mean, if, you, if you've taken it before, right, you'll kind of realize none of those things are what you're thinking about or doing or wanting right. to do you're on acid. So I think the entire thing is sort of like the satanic panic um, from the 80s and 90s where. You know, you have the Catholic Church desperately wanting to cover up all the child sex crimes and to misdirect into a related but tangentially related kind of a topic. And I think the hippie movement was sort of the same idea as it relates to the LSD research, because as far as I know, the LSD research was all about mind control. What they wanted to do is basically erase the mind. They thought if you could give enough LSD to the brain, that it might basically, you know, force someone to go back to square one, tabula rasa. And I think, um, it doesn't do that an email, although it can definitely mess you up at certain high doses. Um, it's usually not permanent damage. And, uh, so,
0: but in your opinion, so I don't know, what was Timothy Leary's, uh, what did he figure out later in life? He had been like, like, what was he doing for the CIA?
1: Right. Well, see this. The thing when he was, um, brought into the MK ultra experiments, he did not understand as, um, a psychology academic that he was about to you know, discover something that really changed his life and and had uh completely different perspectives now than he used to have. That was not what he expected, but that's what he ended up getting from the MK Ultra program. And so it's hard to know if that was um, you know, a forced uh thing or if he knew that was going to be the outcome. But the facts remain that he was simply a participant in MK Ultra and I don't believe was a witting un- and understanding participant in the sense that he was going to discover this uh very interesting psychedelic drug um and then advocate for its use everywhere i i think he did that of his own volition thinking that he had really experienced something significant and um that's important all right
0: any other uh Sandy hook alex jones clip lined up for us so that was kind of the the golden goose
1: well, that was definitely the one that I would say starts it all. Um, at first, he covers it a lot like all the um, other folks in his world were covering it in the sense that he was very concerned about the gun control issue and thinking it was going to be sort of a uh, an opportunity to, to get new legislation passed. And honestly, I don't really think it was that successful um, compared with, say, the Vegas shooting, which Trump well, immediately banned. The,
0: the Sandy Hook later, and by later, mm. I mean, it was this year. Mm. Um, potentially has become very successful because they won a lawsuit against, I believe it was Remington for marketing, um, for marketing the gun inappropriately. And I, I think I made the joke on this show. I don't think they had an ad like the greatest gun for shooting up a school. Um, and they're trying to push this new thing. They're doing it in California, that essentially gun manufacturers are going to be, uh, they're trying to make it that gun manufacturers will be held accountable for if you misuse their product. Um, Now, to me, every single product on the planet, this is another joke, I mean, I keep, maybe I'm quoting myself too much here. I did a joke at the, in this last year's Misinformation Spectacular, that every single product in the world is dangerous when used improperly, because that's right. what they were trying to say about, like, I think it was ivermectin or something, but like, your car. I mean, you can, or fertilizer company is going to be responsible. I mean, I guess with fertilizer, if you're buying enough of it, it's clear that you're buying a bomb. So like maybe there's like an algorithm by which to, that maybe there should be some responsibility there because it's like clear, but like if I'm buying a car, the normal usage is driving it on a road. And so if you then take that car to go mow over some kids and I get it, if you even show up to the shop and go, Hey, I need a Humvee and I need a big one because I want to be able to go drive it into the mall." Yeah, that guy should not be selling you that car. <laughs> but if you show up to buy a car, I I don't Maybe even want to say you got to ask a couple questions, but it's like, for the most part, to say that it, it, there's a lot of normal usage for guns. Even if there was no security usage, it was just that it's a fun toy. That's what's nice about living in free places, that you can have a hobby and enjoy something <laughs> that's fun. You know what I mean? Like, now, yeah. I believe guns are more beneficial than just the fact that they're fun to shoot. But I'm saying, even if that was the only utility of a gun whatsoever... Then yeah, you're an adult, uh, and a place should be able to sell one to you. I don't know. I, you should be able to get it. Fun is good. What was that?
1: Fun is good. You should be able to shoot something. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. So the Sandy Hook thing actually might have been pretty successful in terms of. I mean, it's a lot of years later, and they didn't just run around and take people's guns. Uh, but they they are pushing towards a uh, pretty good policy change if you're anti-gun which is that gun manufacturers would be responsible for selling it to you, uh, which would probably uh, change the pricing of guns quite substantially and the availability.
1: That's fair to say. And I will say, having recently relocated to a very free place, uh, and now that I have some experience with firearm ownership and uh, use, Your it's very hard. One as hell, dude. Yeah, dude, that Remington 870. Yeah, you
0: just had a basic pump action. That thing felt great
1: well it's a it's a very um effective effective, efficient gun it it um, it's easy to use, easy to clean, easy to maintain. and it was eight hundred dollars, which uh, you know that, that was a used gun. and actually that that's a pretty substantial price hike. Uh, and this is in Tennessee, one of the constitutional carry states. And so I think that um when you do think about the gun aspect to um, you know the whole issue of Sandy Hook, you get a lot of problems with it, and I, I won't go into huge detail here, but it is kind of surprising that everybody just believes Am Lanza was able to do what he did, given he was like 110 pounds and emaciated and had horrible uh, Asperger's and autism. It's hard to believe that the dude had a 95% kill count in eight minutes carrying four guns on him and hundreds of rounds of ammunition on his body. It's a little hard to believe, and that's something that I never even considered until I moved out here and I started shooting outside on my field (laughs) and I started getting an understanding of how guns actually are. And, um, you know, the story just doesn't ring true when you think about it. And so, um, you know, again, I don't have a claim for what did happen, but I do not believe it's true what they said happened. Uh, that's kind of where I land on it. Now, the funny thing about this guy though, um, Alex Jones is that he actually gets guesses- no comment for
0: me. I encourage everyone to go cancel CPU dog. If you're looking for his address, it will be listed in the last event, right? <laughs> Take down uh, the Alex Jones theater, leave run your mouth alone. I'm kidding.
1: I agree. If you're going to definitely go after somebody, it should be my LLC that holds onto the stage and stuff. There so,
0: you yeah. go. But, um- Smart.
1: Anyway, the um, you your her- two
0: lawyers, I need a I was listening to Kim Iverson, who by the way, I recommend everyone go watch Kim Iverson. She's doing the best uh real journalism because she does her homework. And like, so she actually did a very interesting piece. I recommend everybody go watch it, specifically about Alex Jones, uh, and that he's not gonna have to pay a dime because they all have liability. I'll give you the bullet points because they're fascinating. Two, because this is something that I was yelling about in the last episode is that I don't understand um how there was $42 million worth of damages here. So this is what's interesting. There's economic damages and then punitive damages in Texas, your punitive damages. And it can't be more than like some multiple, I think it's double your economic damages. So if they were to prove even that they had economic damages of like $750,000, which means that basically they didn't at their wage rates, what they didn't work for five years because of the, um, Oh yeah, there you go. Because of what happened uh, uh, to their kids. Let's say they each took out three years of work. And so you can prove 750,000 economic damages. Then like the max that you get is like basically $1.5 million for the punitive damages. So the punitive damages are kind of like an upward marker of like the max that could be given. That's probably not going to be paid. And then apparently people have liability insurance for saying dumb shit. So I've recently learned, even though I make practically, not a ton of money doing this, but I do hope that it will be my full-time career. Uh, I, I do think I got to look into these LLCs and whatever insurance uh, exists on these because uh, apparently that exists in the world.
1: Anti-woke insurance. I love it.
0: Well, yeah, I guess that, you know what? You want to start that insurance company, the anti-woke insurance company? And if you get sued, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. We're, strangeinsuranceproducts.com. We just need an actuary. You look like <laughs> an actuary.
1: Uh, uh, I must have someone in my family, but not me. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so I just thought that was interesting because that is exactly the article I pulled up for this call. Was that uh, right. you know he was absolutely not going to end up paying forty five million, but of course the news media loved to put that in the headline because that's the thing. You know how much money got made over the course of this coverage by the news media of the Jones. Well, that's files? that's the most
0: evil part of it is that right. they're taking all the money by repurposing and going hey this is offensive and they're the ones putting it in front of the family's face and so they're doing the exact like sure alex jones might lie so that he can sell more pills but you're playing <laughs> the exact same game where you're now going oh look at the horrible thing he said so you also can sell but and yours aren't pills. yeah yours is uh yours is that vaccine shit all right i'm cool. talking to you, so let's watch the uh the wolf well, so- game out big
1: Yeah, I'll explain a bit before we go into that video. There's two people that are very interesting here um, as it relates to the Alex Jones issue and Sandy Hook. There's actually two people I would say are largely responsible for uh, the information that's out there about the alternative uh, explanations for Sandy Hook. The first one is named Sophia Smallstorm. Very cool name. Not much is known about her, but she did used to have quite a bit of stuff online uh, that you could go read, um, including, of course, listed down here, Chemtrails. Um, she's big in that space. You'll find a lot of the Sandy Hook conspiracy theory folks are very much involved in other aspects, especially chemtrails and anti-vax movement. Um, the other fella is named Wolfgang Halbig, who actually is somewhat more credible, I would say, because he's got a long career and background in, uh, he was a troop, a state trooper in Florida. He was a school principal. He ran like a school safety and cleanliness uh consultancy firm. And this is a documentary that he put out and it features here an interview he does on Infowars. Um, and check out what they threatened him with.
5: I mean, you and I would never be talking if they didn't send those two homicide investigators. And I'm going to tell you what, they threatened me. They said, if I don't stop asking questions about Sandy Hook, they're going to be Connecticut State Police were coming to my home and they're going to arrest me. Then I had two deputy sheriffs come to my house telling me, that the Newtown police chief wants to know when I'm coming to Newtown. And then they ask if I own any handguns. I said, it's none of y'all's business. My wife, my, my grown sons have been threatened. They've contacted their school superintendents, board members, they've contacted community leaders and trying to get my sons and my wife fired from their job. I got a demand letters called extortion or blackmail. If I didn't get rid of my website by end of August, if I did not get off of Facebook, if I did not get off of Twitter, they have directed me, this group of people have directed me to take it down. And if I did not do that by the end of August, that my family was going to suffer dire consequences. I'm off of Facebook. I'm off of Twitter. I have no website. You know why? They're scared to death that the truth is gonna come out. Jeez, why are we reporting on this, buddy? (laughs) This seems to be the uh
0: the third guard rail of you can talk bullshit on the Fed, you can talk bullshit on anything, but they're like, Don't you dare look at this one. Oh shit.
1: Yeah, I'm back. They definitely um, threw in all the stops here for this one. It's crazy to think that they threatened this old man like this. And they did so, so publicly because email is so easy to just reproduce and copy and distribute. And um, you know, in particular, what's very um, unsatisfying about this uh, thing that they did to him is that they did this so early on. It was in September of 2014. And so this was only half a year after Alex Jones aired his suspicions, uh, you know, prior.
0: I'd like to interrupt and take a a moment, uh, to say, uh, I feel for the victims of the Sandy Hook shooting and that I'm happy (laughs) that you were awarded all this money and that, uh, you, you finally feel like you can put to rest this issue. And I apologize that there are so many people like me and Andrew on the internet that are fascinated by things that are told to us are no, no topics. Uh, and then want to go, well, why is it a no, no topic? So, you know, I, I just want to say uh, I, I don't believe any of this. I'm fascinated by it, but l- l- I'm, I'm certifiably false all the time. You know, I spoke to lawyers. So I'm just trying to I'm just trying to remind the audience that I'm a gay man, black and transgender on the weekends. Uh, I go to church and, uh, you know, I'm I I have AIDS. So just uh, legal disclaimers. They're important now.
1: I'm just a Jew that lives in rural
0: Tennessee. But, um, <laughs> all right. you know, now, said, we're we're on to some shit here. Tell me about Wolfgang.
1: So Wolfgang, again, a very interesting person because of his credibility. He spent a lot of time uh, as a state trooper. He also spent a lot of time in the public school system. Uh, and he then was a consultant prior to this all happening in Sandy Hook. Um, Dealing with issues related to school safety and having drills and being ready for mass events like this. And so um, what happened, I believe, was that right after Sandy Hook occurred, uh, Alex Jones had a pretty conventional understanding of the Sandy Hook issue and then had this guy on and had him on a few times over and over again um, throughout the course of 2013 and then 2014. Again, never specifically uh, bringing up the issue on his own, always under the context of having this guy on to kind of talk about his very big adventure and trying to talk to all the different you know, committees and the different legal people in the state of Connecticut. He was an outsider, so he spent a lot of his own time and money doing it. And so, you know, you can understand why Alex Jones wanted to have someone like this guy on, especially given his credentials. But just like Sophia Smallstorm, who you cannot find online at all, basically... Wolfgang Halbig has not been heard from in quite some time. After all this occurred, he came up a couple more times, uh, maybe in 2016. And now if you look up his name, it's just a bunch of pictures of like him in front of Nazi flags and stuff. Like his reputation has been completely tarnished. And I don't know if you could tell from hearing this video, the dude is not that, uh, I don't think malicious or mischievous, even if he's completely wrong. He does seem motivated by the right thing.
0: I'm just going to throw throw a theory out there. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes what the government does, even I'm not talking about all of them. I think that there are some people in the higher positions that are just evil. And then there's others who think they're doing good. Uh, and, and they're mistaken actors. I, and I think sometimes what the mistaken actors do, I uh, is they know sales And they know that the only way to be persuade or in their theory, because they're selling like, if you got a good product, you can talk about the value of your product and you'll make sales. If you got a product that's not good, but you convince yourself that you still need to sell it. Well, then you got to lie and pretend like it's better than it is. That's the way it works. Right? So government kind of falls into this trap and global warming is a good example. If they tell us, Hey, we think there could be an issue with the planet in a thousand years from now. Like if they were just honest about it, we go, all right, that's not a problem. You need urgency. So what do they go? Oh, it's going to tomorrow. It's going to go down tomorrow, right? So then people like us go, well, you're lying to me. And they go, then what they try and go is like, well, play along because what we're doing is important, right? We got to save the planet. And so it's an important lie. I think a lot of people did that with COVID too. Uh, I think there's some people that kind of knew. Uh, I, I don't want to say the vaccine because I, I never even went so far as the vaccine's harmful. To me, it was just like, I can tell that you're lying to me. And then their thought is like, you know, because they even say it, the, 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 I brought this up before, but the CEO of Pfizer even put in his book that at one point, I think it was the booster data or something else. And they were like, hey, we're, we don't want to mention that because there's already too much vaccine hesitancy. So I think some of these people actually think the vaccine's a good tool. They want everyone to get it, but they need to pretend like it's a much better tool than it is because if they're honest about it, most people aren't going to go get it. Right. So they have to use terms just like safe and effective well, how long is it good for Don't worry, it's safe and effective. And I'm like, well, you're lying to me. How? Why wouldn't you give me the debt? It's safe and effective. So sometimes people like me or you, we just get, like focus on the, hey, I'm intelligent enough to make my own decision. Why don't you just give me the honest facts? And then sometimes they're, and I, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. There's some on top that are just evil. And I, I recognize that, but I do think that there's some of them or sometimes they end up in situations where they actually think they're doing good and that the only way that they can accomplish their goal is by lying. And then when you start going, well, why are you lying? They kind of ignore you because they think good is on their side. So I'm just going to say something that maybe is a possibility in the Sandy Hook thing. Maybe it's possible that the events took place, but for some reason they they tried to see, make it more scandalous or otherwise that they could further push gun control. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm just like kind of trying to make an everyone meets in the middle compromise here, but they're probably, or maybe the cops just fucked up in some, like in some capacity and they don't want people digging in too much. Uh, But so there's a possibility that the event really did happen. And then they do try, they were trying to lie about it for some reason or another. And then when you get ultra focused on the, hey, I can tell that you're lying here. That doesn't mean that the event didn't happen. Like there might've been another, Reason right. why they had something to lie about, and then they still really don't want you uncovering. Like they don't because it, once they get in trouble for lying, right? Then everyone goes, "Oh, well, they were lying. Maybe they were lying about the whole thing." And like they know how dangerous that is, so it's like once the, you, you, I'm rambling here, but I think you get what well, I'm saying.
1: I do actually, and I think you know you're a Connecticutian, right? A Connecticuter, whatever the term is for and i also used to be and uh we might also both know the history of newtown and especially sandy hook as being a major place for mob activity I there was didn't a know this. no a very popular um or not i'm sorry not popular a very scandalous um mob shooting occurred in the 70s uh, another uh, so-called mass shooting occurred right downtown in Sandy Hook in the 70s during the time where uh, Whitey Bulger was basically fighting with the main mob family in Connecticut for power. And so, as you might know, Whitey Bulger has very confirmed connections to the CIA. And so there is a very significant underbelly that exists amid all of this uh, Sandy Hook stuff which is that it has a history of extreme violence, uh, a lot of biker gang violence in the 60s and 70s. It was a traumatic place to live for quite a while until uh, that all changed very suddenly one day. And um, you know, one guy did point out that Sandy Hook or Newtown rather received something in the order of like 50 million dollars or maybe 100 million from the, the federal government in funding for grants and all this stuff. And so it's not like all this did not happen to give some sort of really big benefits to certain people. And also, I think uh, definitely erased a lot of the prior history of that area of Connecticut, which I think um, being connected to the Bridgeport you know, metro area, the archdiocese uh, of Bridgeport is very sketchy. Um, you start to see that there's a lot of things crawling around that are are questionable. And, 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 you know, you might not want to know about those things in their mind. You'd rather know about the kids that died, you know, because it just makes them look like a victim as opposed to being horribly corrupt or or or, Yeah,
0: Or on the same note, it's like, I guess if the police department has corruption in it, you don't want people kind of even poking around to go, Hey, I think they lied about this other thing because there might be other corruption that they end up, uh, unearthing.
1: Which is why the FBI arrested the chief of police of Newtown um, a couple of years after Sandy Hook, who was in, in, involved in like a huge um, trafficking ring for steroids and prescription pills. Uh, oh, and he was, he was brought down. And there were a lot of other people involved in the metro area uh, in Bridgeport and Norwalk and Danbury. It
0: was all to support big bodybuilders. That was the real scheme. It was all so that... The, the baseball players could get their steroids.
1: Well, one of the places they mentioned that was a major selling point was this gym in Fairfield, Connecticut. And that's where I um I grew up. And so- Not at that gym, thought, though. Sorry?
0: No, I'm just, I'm just being weird for no <laughs> well,
1: reason. I, I was never <laughs> yeah. at the gym because I, I saw the gym from the outside and I looked at it and I was like, this gym, no one's using this gym. Why is it here? It's always open, but there's no one ever there. And I always had this weird feeling about this gym in Fairfield, Connecticut. And then Money I learned- yeah, it was the place where all these uh, pills were being sold illicitly by the Newtown police.
0: Uh, all right. Do we have any other re- videos to uh, to review on the topic?
1: You know, I think that's all we've got. Unfortunately, this was a tough one to um, find in my archives, but I did pull up those things. I ran a lot of speech-to-text analysis, and well, I
0: those mean, were the two videos that really stood <laughs> out. Well, with that being said, you're the guy who's got the archive, and if you were searching through it and there's not a lot of this, then uh, I think that speaks to the fact that that it wasn't, I guess, that big of a topic or that big of a focus point.
1: Oh, compared to the media that blew it up and put it in all the headlines for years and years, absolutely not. Much more small fry than what the media blew it up into.
0: All right. Well, Hey man, we covered the hell out of this. We, uh, we went down some interesting avenues. It's always a pleasure. Likewise, uh, man. You're
1: still alive. Love it.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I've been on full screen the whole time. So for all I know, my Twitter <laughs> channel doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it, but uh, just for my, I'm a gay black man. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the protected class, Jewish too. And trans on the weekends, <laughs> lover of all anti-defamation. Uh, all right. You want to plug anything else before, uh, before we call it?
1: Well, I just did host you at the Bon Aqua Computer Club here in Bon Aqua, Tennessee. If you are in the Tennessee area, please do check us out. We have events here regularly, and they're always relevant to things like this. And so, uh, it's a good time to be had by all, and we get very drunk. So
0: hell yeah! And once again, some report stores in session. Uh, yours was particularly fun. You built this really nice stage. You had that great sound system. Uh, it was cool being out there under the stars. Uh, this weekend, we're going to be at another beautiful farm out in Michigan. I wish I remember the area off the top, but if you live in the state and you don't get in your fucking car and drive, you know, come on, come fucking party. It's going to be a burn burner bringing the shed cast boys on this one. It's going to be shed cast boys doing a full rap concert followed by me doing stand up, and then followed by a live podcast. Uh, and then next weekend, uh, I've got, um, Maryland, BC, Reading PA, and then closing out the porch tour in Denver by forest mommy for the smoke out, bug out, And, uh, for me doing some standup, uh, Andrew, always a pleasure looking forward to next year in Tennessee.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: Hell yeah. Later, dude.